Hi. I, um, it's, uh, what do you call it? The, it's Monday, so it's, tonight's log bummer here. Israel's already log bummer, I think. And I figured this is a little off my regular schedule. I'll say a few words, um, literally a few words, I hope, about uh, log bummer in meta history. Last week or two weeks ago, whatever it is, I was asked and I did a podcast, you know, log bummer in history. Uh, which is a whole complicated parsha. Let's put aside the question of historical analysis, and let's just deal with Lagbomer in meta-history. Now, what do the text tell us? Now, this is not so simple because, um, you know, how, how do I put it? If you're like me, most people, I think, who have some kind of background, when it comes to Lagbomer, I imagine what you do is you look up the story of Shem Yichai, correct? So that's in the Gemara Shabbos. I think many people know that. It's on page log, like log bummer, Lama Gimel. And it's a story where he hides in the cave. Okay? So he hides in the cave. And uh, I'll maybe say a few words about that. However, ironically, um, that story has nothing to do with log bummer at all. <laughs> okay? Um, the reason we have the songs Bar Yochai and all the rest of it is because it's totally something totally separate. And that is a tradition, like I say, we're going to be Meta-historical today, not historical. I'm not going to ask the question, where did this come from? Isaiah Zuckman. And uh, there's a tradition that uh, Lagbomer is the day of the yard site, of when he died. Uh, the histalkus, as they say, of Shemba Yochai. And the reason I say the word histalkus, instead of simply dying, is because this is described in great detail, but in the Zohar. So what's ironic is, I'm not sure most people even know about this, I imagine. Most people I run into. Uh, there's a famous passage in the Zohar called the Idra Zuta, right? The Asifa Katana, the Idra Zuta, the small assembly, which is in the Zohar, I think it has, you know. That's where it's uh, placed in the current editions of the Zohar. The Zohar is a constructed document, you know. The different printers arrange the stuff in different ways. Back in the 1500s in Italy when it was first published, this is all W do it. And um, there's a big scene about the remarkable uh, departure from this world of the famous Shemmi Yochai. And uh, by the time, and, and it's, all, it's all, you know, it's a, a long business. And it's very hard to understand if you're not a Makobo and, and so forth, because he goes into different parts of the divine thing, the Pertufim and all that. And there's a few people there, and at the beginning he says, you know, I don't want anybody here except a few, and so on and so forth. And by the time, that, and, and in his death bed, his departure bed, he starts darshing and share Hashem, Anila Dodi, Be'olai, Tishukoso. You can imagine what that is, Anila Dodi. It's Hashem Yechai about to depart the world. So, uh, you know, what that's all about. And uh, he goes, and other things over there. And by the time he's finished, like I say, a lot of Kabbalistic stuff is beyond the pay scale of most of us. And, uh, and then when it's over, he, uh, he, what do you call, basically says that uh, he's going to uh, and he died in the word Chaim. Right? You know, that uh, basically when he was saying the word Chaim you know, it's like Rabbi Kiva died when he said Echad, right? So here he said the word Chaim 
and uh, uh, and you know at that point he deceased, and uh, the uh, the writer says I couldn't even look, and it was a fire in the house all day long, and uh, and we were on the ground and crying, and when the fire finally departed we couldn't see the the the, the mace, uh, when the fire departed we saw. The Holy One, you know, in other words, the 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 dead saint, Anira Kaddish Kaddish Kaddashim, you know, and uh, basically, um, it's it's a what I'm trying to say is like this: the description you have in this document in Didra Zutra is the kind of thing. It's not a regular death. That's what we call the word histalkos. The fire that surrounds the whole place, and I remember from the past, the the, the coffin lifted up in the air, and all kinds of stuff. It's a little bit, not exactly, like Elianovi. At least that's my understanding of it. If anybody knows whatsoever anything about the famous scene of the death, well, the Histalkus, once again, of Elianovi, he never dies. He and Elisha are walking along the road, and then a fiery chariot comes and he, and he ascends to heaven in a fiery chariot. And Elisha then, there's Kriya and so forth. It doesn't say Elio died. It says he went to heaven in a fiery chariot. And what does that mean? After all, heaven is not a place. So it's, the words are not literally true. Elisha could not see him go to heaven in a chariot because that sounds like heaven is all the way up there beyond the skies and he saw him go to the Milky Way or something like that, you know, super far, far away, up, 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 up. But Shemaim is not up and Gehenna is not down. These are spiritual realities. They're not physical. They, they're not bound. No, they're metaphysical. They're not bound by time and space. That's the definition over here. For some reason, a lot of people have trouble with that. I don't know why. And uh, so it's trying to uh, describe an experience of transcendence, where actually the, the technical term in English is translation. That Elio is translated to another Matthias. You understand? You went to Shemayim. To go to Shemayim in those words... In a, especially in a chariot and a fire, is, is some kind of fancy way of saying he assumed another existence. And by the way, this is the reason we have all these stories about Elio Navi, not the other Navi. You never hear that Nathan Navi showed up, right? You never hear that almost Hoshea, Yol, almost Micha, Nachum, Chavako, they showed up, but you always hear stories about Elio showing up, right? Why Elio? Because he didn't die, the other ones died. You know, he just uh, switched to Matthias. So if you didn't. If, if, if that's the case, then you can come back. You know, it's not that big of a deal to come back. For Elio to come back, it's not a matter of tchias hamisim, because he didn't have a regular misa, and that's why you have all these. Uh, he's that's why the person you always hear about is Elio. Um, now, by the way, as opposed to Moshe Rabbeinu, as opposed to everybody else, it says clearly these people died. Um, and Elio doesn't, and the theme of fire. And a chariot of fire going to another existence to show mine, which again is not a place. It reminds you what you read about the death or the uh, transformation of uh, what do you call it of uh, Shimon Yochai, even though it's clear of there that he died. And it says Rebbe Lazar ben Shimon, who was there. I'm talking about what it says in Idrizuta, kissed the hands of the dead man, and the other one says Ani lachachti offer tachas raglov. I I licked the uh, the dust under his feet, right? Uh, you know. And uh, so, in other words, there's a body there. But on the other hand, the fire and all the rest of it conveys the idea that this is not a death in the in the regular sense. It is a death, but not in the regular sense. So I don't know what it means. No, 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 no,
this is an amazing event. It doesn't happen to anybody else. At least not that we're told. Or at least not that I can think of. So all I can think of is Eliyahu Novi, which is in the uh, Book of Kings, in beginning Melachim Beis. And then this story about Rabbi Shimon Yochai. Um, okay, fine. So now, although we do have stories, you know, that the Mason were not Matame and that sort of thing, but that's a different part. Here you're talking about uh, 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 different messias. The theme of fire doesn't mean literally there was a fire there and then the house would burn down. So obviously well, it was a fire, but not that kind of fire. So all of a sudden we're, we're playing the games or we're trying to play, we're trying to understand the game of using terms that don't mean what they usually mean. It doesn't mean that they don't mean what they mean. It doesn't mean what they usually mean. So it doesn't mean that there was fire there. Maybe it's, look, I don't know, I wasn't there. Maybe it's a, a, a spiritual term for something that wasn't fire at all. Alternatively, maybe it was a fire, but it didn't have the properties of a regular fire, which would burn up a house. But, you know, anybody, you show me a corpse surrounded by fire, you know, the corpse will burn up. So, all of a sudden, we're using these uh, mystical terms. That is what happened, or it's it, supposed to have happened on Lag Bomer. And that's called Hilul Dirajbi, Shembi Yochai. And this is the source of, since it's something amazing like this, this is the source of uh, all the business with fires and everything that comes in uh, Maron and Israel to go nuts, you know, everybody with the fire. This is a case, by the way, of a sublime notion reduced to uh, regular physical properties <laughs> um, in our time, in, in regular times, because everybody, all the kids go and make a big fire. As, as you know very well, in Israel, it's a mania, right? To collect wood forever and make a huge fire and burn the place down. But um, I'm talking about uh, the, you know, origins of this. And it's, the best I understand it is they take this famous metahistorical incident and uh, and and uh, it turned into, again, I can't prove any of this. I'm just telling you what I, what, the way over the years I've come to put it all together in my mind, you know, assimilate it. And uh, what I understand, this is like the Simchas Torah, in other words, of Kabbalah. Because, uh, you know, Simchas Torah is also made up holiday. It's not in the Chumash, not in the, in, in the Gemara. But it can be associated, I would say, basically, with the celebration of the Nigla. So in a certain way, not the same way exactly, but, and, and by the way, it started bottom up. They started celebrating Simchas Torah in this place and that place, and eventually spread everywhere and assumed its own life. So similarly with Lagbomer. I've said many times, it's the fastest growing holiday that I know of, and um, it assumed all kind of forms. The Zionists kind of helped, because back 100 years ago, uh, when Zionism was a big deal, uh, they tried to appropriate the, the Lagba Omer idea and say that uh, the students of Rabbi Kiva were killed in fighting against the Romans, and that's uh, the story somehow or other connected with Lagba Omer. Um, but that's not true. Let's put it this way. There's no basis for it. I've heard people say that, but there's no source for saying that the students of Rabbi Kivayga died in that context. It's not what the Gemara says. And there is no other outside source that would indicate that. But you jumble all these together and you end up with this, uh, well, at least in the from world, the Halul of Rajbi, of the Hashem of, of Yochai. Now, what's interesting is, many people don't know this, and after all, who reads the Idrizuta? And even those who do... I've noticed, because I, over the years, have um, bought uh, one or two sets of the Zohar with Hebrew translation. Uh, I like that sort of thing. And uh, it used to be one years ago, 
called Zerubalush and Kodesh, which are just pieces. Just pieces. Because the regular Aramaic is very weird, as you know. And you can get used to it. I mean, I've gotten used to it over the years. But it's more fun to read in Hebrew. At least to me, I'm talking about me. You know, you can do what you want. And uh, many years ago, 20, 30 years ago, they came out one with the kudos. So very nice, good Hebrew. And uh, and that's a, a... Recently, there's another one I mentioned to you before called Zohar Torah. It's actually very good. But those are more like on the Parsha. And I remember seeing, I'm not going to go to the other room and pull out my copy of the Zohar. It's like 12 volumes. But uh, I remember when it gets to Idrizuta, I said, let me read it in silent, let me read the Hebrew side by side. It'll be much easier to read. And it said, under the advice of the Ben Ishchai, this part is not supposed to be translated. And so they translate the Gansa Zohar, except the Idrizuta. It's so holy, it says, that you, that you don't translate it. Which, I don't know, you know, okay. Uh, you know. What do I know? Uh, but uh, apparently, you know, has that kind of a business. And uh, in the Sephardi world, I guess, there are different customs about reading uh, Zutta. In the from world, the sheep world, you never heard of this. But um, there's such a thing that the uh, real from Sephardi uh, read the Holy Zutta not knowing what they're saying. Um, tonight, meaning on the night of Lag Bomer. What I mean by not knowing what they're saying, it's a pious act to read it. Not know even though you don't know what it's saying. It's a it's a Sephardic thing. I've been in a number of Sephardic communities. I'm just thinking right now. I was in Tangier a number of years ago when I did a trip. I led a trip to Spain and Gibraltar, and when we were, it was a very good trip. And when we were in Gibraltar, part of the thing they took us over the Straits of Gibraltar, the other side to Tangier, and uh, in, in which is in Morocco and now and in Tetuan. And in Tangier, we went to the old Jewish neighborhood because once upon a time, Tangier had a big Jewish community. And we went to the street there. Once upon a time, an Arab there told us, used to be 13 shuls. He remembers 13 shuls on the street. And now there's one. And, you know, it's a shvacha business, obviously, now in current in Morocco. And it's an older shul, but, uh, you know, with a few Jews. And sure enough, you walk in, there's like row after row of Zohars. Uh, why? Because they read them. Right? It's a, it's a chus, just a, it's a mitzvah just to read it. You don't know what you're talking about. So there's a minute to read the Idrizuta tonight. And uh, there's another minute like that to uh, read the Idrizuta, let's see, on, on Oshana Rabba, a lot of Spider-Man to that. Again, you don't know what you're reading. Because let me tell you something. Who understands this? First of all, I'm, not even, I'm talking about the translation level. It's not the regular make. Second of all, even if you understood the translation, which will be a madriga, obviously... You and I don't understand the content because he's talking about, I don't even say what he's talking about, things that seem weird. So uh, it's heavy duty stuff. <laughs> My point in all this is this is quote unquote the real Lagba Omer in the sense of the celebrations because you're not celebrating those wild parties. The fact that Rabbi Kiva's students uh, ceased to die in that day, according to that tradition that I talked about last time. If you did that, you'd simply say, today's a day and get a haircut. Today's a day I can make a wedding, meaning it's a lightening of the restrictions. It's not a day of parting, though. Do you know what I just said? If, if assuming that today's the day, let's say, for example, the students of Rabbi Kiba stopped dying on this day, according to one way of looking at it. There are other ways of looking at it also, like I mentioned last time, but let's just say, Pashim Shot, that they died over 32 days from, um, you know, from Pesach until Lag Bomer. So that's great. So he stopped dying on that day. You'll make a party. 
You know, you have a dancing, you don't go wild at, at Maron. You simply say that the Avelis practices that we're keeping up, we are no longer keeping up. Used to be, I couldn't get a haircut. But now that the Avelis is over, so, you know, and I can get a haircut. If Chas Rashaam, someone loses, they say, for example, a parent, and uh, they can't, uh, you know, uh, take a haircut and things like that. And then time passes, and they can't. They don't make a party, right? Comes to the yard site in general, you don't make a party. So, uh, uh, now, you know, you could disagree with that and say that on the day of the departure of Big Tzadik, you make a party. That comes from Lag Boomer. All I'm trying to say is that the celebrations that we have and the bonfires, all the rest of it, is not about celebrating the stopping of the dying of students Rabbi Kiva, uh, particularly, by the way, if you hold, you know, the other way, which is they died all the way through and just like Burma was the day they didn't die, then it meet, then Mamash will be crazy, you understand? Notice every day, between Pesach and, so, and Shavuos or something like that, they died. But for some reason, on Lag Burma, they didn't die. Now, that day, they make a party? They make a, a whole carrying on and drinking and all the rest of it? You'd say that that day, you know, like we say today, you don't say Tachnon, the rest of the day you say Tachnon. The parties come from this idea of, of, of the Idrizut, of the Hilula, of the Raja, of Shem Yochai, who died in the middle of all the fire, and, uh, you know, and, and he didn't die in a regular way, and therefore it's something sublime. Um, th- th- this is what we're talking about when we, when we uh, tonight and tomorrow, get into uh, uh, Lag Bomer practices. And the irony I'm, I'm pointing out is that, you know, most people, uh, you know, are not familiar with the Idrizutra. Kalbachomer understand the contents of what was discussed there as he, as he was passing away. This is like a famous theme. A great person dies, and as they die, they, they leave talking a Chachma. It's not only a Jewish thing, you know. Um, now, that's part of, of what we have on Lag Bomer, which is, like I said before, those who really want to get into it will go into the Zohar stuff, the Idrizuta. But most people aren't into what I just said for a whole bunch of reasons. First of all, they have nothing to do with the Zohar whatsoever. How many people have been having the house a Zohar? Why would you? You know, the average individual out there. Uh, let alone get into all these uh, little things like the Idrizuta or something rather than a Parsha or two in Parsha of the Week. Uh, so most other people are trying to under, to relate to the fact this is my experience. I'm just telling you what I've seen. Most people try to relate to um, Lag Bomber, and they know it's Yoshim Yochai, so they learned about Yoshim Yochai. Where do you learn about Yoshim Yochai? That's the story in Gemara Shabbos where he hid in the cave. So I repeat, the story of the cave had nothing to do with Lag Bomber. Nevertheless, since you're talking about the fact it's the death of Yoshim Yochai and, and the Romans wanted to kill him, so somehow rather in the mind of people it comes together, tied together with, with, with Lag Bomber. By the way, there is a uh, opinion, uh, I think Shane Marie maybe, Rabbi Zevin quotes it, who has this, Rabbi Zevin has this brilliant and historical critical article, surprise me, in the Modim uh, Balacha, you'd be surprised at what you see over there, if you take the trouble to read it, I haven't pulled it out yet, but I know it, I've seen it many times, and, um, you know, he's bothered also, you know, where do you get the idea Lagbomer is the day, the day that did resort to happen. But let's putting that aside. Uh, why, there's a famous question: Why are you rejoicing over the death of a tzaddik? Uh, it should be the other way around. You should uh, be mourning or saying extra learning. You know, if you told me today we're having a special seder, we're going to learn three hours in schus of the memory of the great tzaddik Shem that you more quote unquote litvish. You know, you can't hear that. 
What's the idea of partying? And um, especially burning clothes used to be old custom and things like that. And um, uh, all of which is symbolic, you know. Um, anyway, one of the opinions, a very 19th century rationalistic opinion is, look, the German, um, the Germans, I said, the Romans wanted to kill him. They didn't kill him in the end. In the end, he died in bed, so to speak. He died peacefully. Uh, that's a day to rejoice. That is a very Jewish <laughs> way of looking at things. Um, I, I know what he's talking about. Because Bedidi my mother's mother, uh, was in Czechoslovakia during the Second World War. And the way things worked out, the Germans didn't come in to start killing everybody in Czechoslovakia until very late. Slovakia, anyway, without giving you all the details. And the they didn't show up until like September 44, which is late in the war. And my mother's mother, who was very sadikous and all that, you know, the old school. And uh, the long and the short of it, she got sick and died shortly before the Germans showed up. And so she died, they buried her, they sat shiva, they did all that kind of stuff. And once everything was over, you know, a little bit later, the Germans came. So that was, quote-unquote, uh, you say she's lucky. What do you mean she's lucky? She's lucky you didn't have to go fall in the hands of the Germans, even though you died at the end anyway. So I can understand that. People in my generation understand that. So similarly, the Romans want to kill Shem Yochai. They never got around to it. The fact that he lived his life and died when he died is a, is, is, is a day to rejoice. It's like the Jew triumphing over, you know, those who want to uh, bring him to an end. I get it. Like I say, it's very logical, very rationalistic, very 19th century. But anyways, that's not where these people are going wild. They're going wild because what it says, Ned Rizuta, the, the, you know, the ash was all over the place. The coffin was flying off the ground. The, uh, you know, uh, you could probably see sparks shooting in different directions, whether physical or spiritual. And, uh, you know, that, that that's what you're talking about over here. Okay. And, uh, you know, that, that's something that, that's amazing. However, as I said before, most people, what they end up doing is uh, reading the Gemara in, in uh, Shabbos about hiding in the cave. And so what I did, just before I opened this up, I just finished teaching a class, so I figured, I'll take a look at the Gemara over here, which I've seen many times, but let me uh, pull out something that will give a different uh, twist on it, perhaps. And so, uh, just for a heck of it, I, I pulled out um, an old book I had for many years called The Mishnah's Rabbi Kiveg or something like that. And it's really cool. And what it is, is I got this really uh, 40-some years ago, at least. And this book came out, the Safer came out in 59. And uh, what it is, is there's a guy that came and went through all the Gilean Ashasas and explained them at great length. And this was, Rabbi Kivager has the Gilean Ashas inside of the Gemara. And when I was young in Yeshiva, I remember they sold in bookstore, and I really fell in love with it. Rabbi Chavel, who, who was the famous guy who did the um, Rambans and all that back in, in my youth times. I don't know if this means anything to an audience today. Uh, we're talking mid-20th century. <laughs> Uh, Rabbi Chaim Dov Chavel was the um, was the number one uh, uh, graduate from Skokie, and he was a, a very interesting Korean American rabbinate, and he was a scholar, and he published a lot of these. We've shown him in the good editions like the Ramban and the Rabbeinu Chaim and others like that, and he translated them in English, some of them. And back in the day, Chavel, you know, was a name. Now it's the art scroll; it's a new era, and 
In addition to that, he had another life. I mean, he was, by the way, he was the Mashkech at Grossinger's. Um, but besides that, uh, he was a prominent rabbi, and he was big time Chacham, and he edited the Hadarom, which was the uh, Torah journal, uh, and is, of the RCA. And there was a long, for a long time, back, I think in the 50s, 60s, he had a shtick where every month or two, um, as a, as a editor's contribution, he would take one Rebbe Kivager, or maybe two. And what I mean is, you go through the Gemara, and every page is a Gilean Ashas, or every few pages, and the Gilean Ashas, I think you know what I'm talking about, are very brief. And what do they mean? And he would look them up and explicate them and quote all this stuff at length. And they're very interesting. I'm like, who does that? It's like this guy who did it also, I forget his name, but the yellow covers with the grog, Bira grog on the Shulchan Aruch. Everything is very succinct, and you have to go to the trouble of Schlepp to look up all the sources of the grog. What's it called? Something Eliyahu. I never got that set. And that's also a very good thing. So anyway, uh, when I, w- I remember in the bookstore in near Israel, they had the other one on uh, most, of the, most of the Masechtas of Moed. You know, Chagiga and Beitza and McGill and that sort of thing. I really fell in love with it at that time. I found it very helpful. And then later I made it my business and I found out that he also published the first half of Moe, Brachas and Shabbos and Erevin and Psachim and that sort of thing. And so I pulled out this business on um, on Lag Bomer and Lama Gimel in the Gemara Shabbos. And there's uh, two or three points because the story of Shem Yuchai in that story, which I repeat, is the famous story of Shem Yuchai that everybody knows. But it's not so simple. I mean, for example, at the end, he looks at the guy, he's angry at Rabbi Hudim and Gerim because the guy told on him. He didn't tell him on purpose. Uh, and according to, you know, Rashi says he was some guy named Yehudim and Gerim, some uh, dude. And uh, Tosa said, no, he's a rabbi. You know, he was one of the Tanoim. And uh, later on, I think you all know the story. When he sees him, he said, you're still alive in the world. And Nosson Boenov and Nepach Galshal Atzamos killed him. He looked at him, gave him one of those looks of Shimon Yochai, and the guy collapsed in the Galshal Atzamos, which Rashi means, that, you know, he shriveled. Uh, something terrible physical happened to him and uh, Tosa says no it's not true uh, he's a great man you know unfortunately I mean the story is that three people had it, were sitting at the table and a fourth guy was listening how's it go one was Rabbi Shimon one was Rabbi Yehuda and one was Rabbi Yosef I think right and one said what do you think of the Romans and you know we all know this and one said the Romans are good one said the Romans are bad and one kept quiet so Roshim Yechai is the one who said the Romans are bad. They made all these things for their own benefit, not for anybody else. The infrastructure projects they introduced into Rome and Palestine don't help anybody except the Romans. And the other one, Yehuda, said, no, the Shvakim, the Merchatzos, you know, that the Romans have built up the country, you can't take away from them, and the Romans found out, and therefore they said, Rabbi Yehuda, who, who, who spoke positively about Rome, will be promoted, uh, Rabbi Shimbi Yochai will be condemned to death because he spoke against Rome. Rabbi Yossi, who, who I think it was Rabbi Yossi, who um, was silent, he should be put in exile. Although, he was sent, I think, to, uh, to Tzipori, is that right? And, uh, which is not such a bad place. Tzipori was like, a, you know, a, a resort area. But anyway, whatever the case is, um, so Shimbi Yochai was condemned to death and he got to go hiding. We know the story. And by the time it's over, by the time the story's over, 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 you reach the end of the Agarito, he sees 
the person who told on him, what does it mean told on him? That there was Rabbi Yehuda ben Gerim, or Yehuda ben Gerim, which is quite a name, and he must have had a big mouth. Um, this is not unknown among Jewish people. And he must have said, guess what happened over here? This one said this, and that one said that. And uh, and, they, and it got to the Romans. You know what I mean? It's not like he was a Malshan and went and told the Romans. Uh, and Shemichai basically killed him, or or not. Uh, why would he put reduce somebody to a Galshal at Summers? You know, why, why, why would he do that? Uh, because you caused me uh, 12 years of hiding in the in the cave. I mean, uh, wasn't his, uh, he, he didn't mean to do it. And uh, in general, you know, it's a very harsh kind of story. And it's also true that there's a... Anyway, I'll, I'll share with you just one or two points. And you look this up yourself. Everything I'm telling you, you can see yourself. I'm just calling your attention to it. So you have a little bit of fun and something to think about on Log Bummer, if you wish to. Uh, and one of them is... So again, I just opened this uh, book where he has these wonderful, uh, nice explanations of all the Gilgamesh's. And... One of the stories he brings out is something I've thought of from time to time, but never gave any time, any actual thought to it. And that is, what about Mrs. Shimon ben Yochai? Because the story is that once the Romans were out after him, he went hiding. But eventually he went to a cave. Why did he go to a cave? You remember this? I, I know you remember this. He's like this. Listen, if my wife knows where I am, they'll torture her, and, uh, and they'll reveal where I am. Because Noshim died in Kalos. So, um... I better go hide in a place where she doesn't know. And that's what he did. He took his son and he hid in a cave. Okay, I get that. What about the wife? What I mean to say is like this. When he went missing, the Romans are going to capture the wife and arrest her. And they're going to torture her. And um, uh, she won't know. And so, for all I know, they torture her to death. I mean, who knows? Let me put it this way. You want to be in some Roman torture chamber. right? That's what happened. So... From a modern perspective, certainly from a 19th century perspective, uh, what kind of a hero are you? That's a cad. You know what kind of hero are you? You let your wife suffer for you? You understand? He should have said like this. There was a modern story. You say, you know, rather than my wife be tortured, he came out and surrendered to the Romans. Uh, so he's a gentleman, right? But he did the opposite. He ran away and left her to be tortured. And so what's Tucker up shop? And uh, this isn't bothering me. It's bothering Rabbi Kibaker. Because he says, I and Mug and Avram, so Sim and Kufna involved, which I would never do ordinarily, but I see he brings it out. And he says, This Mug and Avram, Mashma Shemutter Lo Livroach, Kishiyesh Sakonis Nafashas, Afopi, Shemitok Se Goran Sarla Havero, Mashma Shumachuyev Lisbal Atar, Kadesh Lo Yark Haber Bechinam. Well, the Mug and Avram is saying that from this story of, Rabbi, of uh, Shemba Yochai and his wife, you're on a rule. And the rule is that if it's, if it's a danger to your life, you run away, even if it leaves other people holding the bag, even though they'll, be, they'll suffer. And in fact, the other people are supposed to suffer if by suffering it'll mean your life is spared. Because I imagine what you do is you say, bottom line is, is he, will he live or will he die? And the most important thing is he won't die. So if you can do anything to make sure that the other person will live and not die, they should do so. Whoa, that's a pretty harsh business. I don't know if everybody agreed with that, but it's a mug and rum. That's a pretty harsh business. You know, you, you run away, leave your family uh, you know, uh, stuck uh, because you uh, because uh, physical survival is above everything else, literally. And the fact that the other person will suffer physically, be tortured, uh, is simply something they have to do. 
uh, in order for you to survive. Now, I would have played it different and said, since he was a God of the door, so his case is special, you know, he needs to live to help the rest of the Jewish people, you know, some angle like that. But that apparently is not the way um, the Mogan of Ram is doing. He's saying, this is new. From this, I got to tell you, you learn normative behavior. You understand? You learn normative behavior. And uh, that's, that's really interesting. Uh, it, it, it puts a, a weird spin on the uh, story of Shem Yichai, but that is what happened. So notice, he survived, the son survived in very difficult conditions, as we know. And they had all the re-entry problems. Um, like I said before, I'm sure everybody knows the story. But uh, doesn't say anything about he re- re- reuniting with his wife. You don't hear that. Plus, they, they killed her, they tortured her to death or something like that. I don't know. Uh, that's one item. And the other one is um, that it says and Eliona came and told him uh, to leave the cave. There's a there's a variant of this story. I'm not gonna, I don't have the patience to pull this out. Rabbi Kibaker says you want to see this story in another nusach. Go to um, the Yushalmi in Shviz in the ninth parak. And Sham in Yonim Nifloim Mishim Yochai. You see amazing things Mishim Yochai. And again, Shavel just summarizes it, and he says it wasn't twelve years; it was thirteen years, and it wasn't that somebody, in the story we have in the Bavli, Elian Navi comes and says, time to leave. Um, which, okay, means he went in the cave and wasn't leaving until until something like that happened. According to the Yishami, he finally had cabin fever. Yosi, Liros, That the Roshim Yichai said, enough is enough, I, I, I want to go out and see what's happening in the world. And Vyatsa Vyashavla Piamari sat at the edge of the cave, which he hadn't approached for years. And he saw a guy was uh, hunting a bird, and he saw like a Bosco come out. And uh, basically, he was going to catch the bird, and because a Bosco said Chesed, he didn't catch the bird. And basically, he saw like this you know, all creatures, uh, let me put it this way nothing happens without that branch law making it happen. And so if the bird was saved, because it wasn't a time for the bird to be uh, caught, so, or me. That's a very different story than the one who says, come on out. The boss call says the emperor died, and there's no more uh, uh, Roman thing against you. And uh, he has another thing over there about the story where he goes and tries to fix the graves, and a kusi tries to mess him up, and he kills the kusi. So you see other versions of the story. Um... All I would say, and I've talked longer than I did, was the two places, the two literary sources that we have are connected with Lagba Umar in, in, in terms of classic literature is, um, what do you call it, in the, uh, in the Gemara about this story to cave, and um, in the Zohar. I would only add one last piece, and with this I'll conclude because I'm, I'm, it's longer than I figured, but I just consider this really cool. Because this week was Agbomer, this past Shabbos, I was doing some Gemara because my mother's yard is coming up, so I'm trying to do Beta. And you know how it goes when you're interested in buying something, you hear all the advertisements, right? When interested in buying a car, all of a sudden you pay attention to all the ads. As soon as you bought the car, you, you don't even pay attention. It goes right by. You turn your, your mind off. Even though your ear hears it. So similarly... 
since this week is Hashem and Yochai and his son, I didn't even speak about it, Blazim and Shimon, but I'm not going to go into that too much. Uh, about Blazim and Shimon. Um, so, I happen to notice in the Gemara, whenever they bring up Hashem and Blazim and Shimon, and we're just... Interesting to me because he says to his son, "You and I can hold up the Gansavelt, you know, and all that. Um, you know, the rest of the humanity is not to die for it. They didn't do what we did." And I, I just saw it was interesting to me. There's like a three-way machlokus on Yotess, I think, in uh, in the Gemara about Baltaacher. How many times, how many yontivs do you have to be go past for Baltaacher? And as he promised, bring a carbon or something like that. And, uh, you know, do you have to wait till Pesach Shulah Sukkot and after Sukkot? Or do you have to wait till Sukkot Pesach Shulah uh, You know, how does it work? And they're like, there's a Bryson with like four opinions. And uh, t- among the two opinions, two Tanum are disagreeing with each other, is the father and the son. It's if Shimon says one thing and the son says something different. It's actually interesting. So on your test, on the base over here, uh, where is it? He basically says that you have to uh, uh, have three holidays in a, in a row uh, to be over on the Baltacher. And Rebbe Lozim and Shimon says no. Uh, Sukkot. As, as soon as you pass Sukkot, you're over on Baltacher. No, he disagree with the father. In other words, let's put it this way. If you made a, a, a net or something like this to bring a, a carbon before Sukkot, as soon as Sukkot is over, you're over in Baltacher. On the other hand, if you made this a net there, let's say, for example, after Sukkot, then it'll be a whole year. You know, until next Sukkot. But all depending on Sukkot. The key point is, do we find... I, I, you know, I'm not an expert in this. I don't think too many places you find Tanoim where the father and the son are arguing, meaning on a halachic matter brought down in a Bryce in a Befesh way. Uh, you don't see Rebbe say one thing and his son say another. Uh, at least I don't think so. Uh, and it caught my attention that the, the when the son emerges uh, from the cave with the father, the son already has like independent uh, uh, personality. You know, he 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 calls it like he sees it. He uh, uh, it's weird because let me put it this way: where did Elizabeth Shimon learn? He learned with the father. So you think that whatever Torah he got, he got from the father. You think. So how can it be that he disagrees with the father? So I consider that a very interesting matter of, of speculation. And I think with that, I'll leave you to um, have something possibly to talk about on this uh, holiday vlog bummer, which around the world is going to be conducted in a different way than usual because they can't have the big bonfires with a lot of people, social distancing era. And it'll be interesting to see how this plays out. I'm sure a lot of places are not going to observe social distancing. And that's not good. But, uh, you know, the log bomber is log bomber. The Jewish people are the Jewish people. And uh, let's see what happens. Anyway, I hope you have a, however it is that you do it in your family, I hope it will work out good for you this year. That's enough for now.